You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. So two amazing facts. One, despite the clear signs, the lost world will not be prepared. And even those of us who are anticipating his return, he's going to come. He's going to surprise you like a thief, like lightning. Each and every one of us will face judgment before we enter eternity. There are many who are aware of this, and yet they live life how they want, with the assumption that they'll have time to get things right, or that they'll get the chance to plead their case, and then God won't think that they're that bad. This is dangerous, and it's prideful thinking. As Pastor Danny will warn us in today's message, you can't know how much time you have. Life can be taken in an instant, and only if Christ stands on your behalf will you be accepted into God's kingdom. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 with today's edition of The Living Word. Two verses, verse 27 of Hebrews 9. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, there are two issues here, and we spent most of our time on the one. But let me just say, the first issue is, it's appointed unto man once to die. Uh, If Jesus tarries, we're all going to face death. I'm not particularly looking forward to dying, uh, but I'm looking forward to what's on the other side. Uh, But who, you know, looks forward to death? I'm not looking forward. I, I, again, I'm a wimp. I hope I die in my sleep and wake up and see in Jesus. Uh, It'll just be wonderful. Some of us have a privilege of knowing we're going to die in terms of some kind of estimated time. You, you get the sickness, whatever it is, and the doctor says, well, you got either this minimum or this maximum, all right? And I don't know if you appreciate that, but you should because now you know. And Without a miracle, barring a miracle, you better prepare. And yet some people, knowing they're going to die, knowing they got a couple years left, and they still don't make the decisions that will make a real difference for eternity. Now, I say that in light of Jesus' statement, uh, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. You know, you don't wake up one day and just decide to become a Christian. Uh, Do you realize that? You don't just wake up one day and decide you're going to be saved. That's what the Bible calls saved. Listen, I could not become a Christian unless the Holy Spirit began working in my life and the Father drew me to Jesus Christ. 
You go back over your life. Now, if you're a Christian, go back over your life. You didn't get up every morning and was convicted. You know, you were convicted and you felt the Holy Spirit. You felt God speaking to you and drawing you to Jesus. Why? Because he didn't do that every day. You can't become a Christian. I couldn't become a Christian until the Holy Spirit did a work of conviction in my life. And through that work of conviction, I had an opportunity to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. But that's a work of heaven just to be able to be convicted of sin and have the knowledge of Jesus Christ and then have the opportunity to receive him as Lord and Savior. So we don't just become Christians when we decide to. But if you know you're going to die, you ought to at least start considering. <laughs> if you know you're going to die, you ought to at least think, man, I need to, I need to call out to God. <laughs> I need to get right. <laughs> what does that look like? Oh, God, help me. Now, we may have the privilege of preparing for death. Some people don't. My wife and I, of course, my wife and I were driving back midday yesterday from Orlando again. And there was an accident in Tampa and a big backup headed east toward Tampa. And we were going, of course, west. And one of the vehicles in the accident, and they had already begun to clean it up. The ambulances had already left. And there was miles of traffic trying to get over east toward Tampa. But one of the vehicles was a motorcycle, and I saw it, and my heart just dropped, and I just cried. I said, oh, Jesus, help him. And I said to my wife, I said, I don't know how anybody could survive that. And uh, I haven't read the paper today or anything. I don't know, but I'm sure I'll hear about it. But I, they're probably gone, and they didn't plan on dying. It was an accident. It happened suddenly, and all of a sudden, they're gone. So it's a great privilege if you know you're going to die, and you maybe go, well, I got a couple of years. And Hopefully, you'll make some right decisions. But there's one thing you won't have time to prepare for, and I won't have time to prepare for, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again. We looked last week, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but here are some of the things we looked at that are signs of Jesus' soon coming. Modern military, we looked at Old Testament prophets who saw the end of the world as we know it, and what they were seeing was a modern military uh, engagement. Chariots jumping over mountaintops. Joel said, I saw these chariots, they're jumping from mountaintop to mountaintop. He never seen chariots jump from mountaintop to mountaintop, but he didn't know about modern military, helicopters, things like that. Increased knowledge, and we looked at that, and certainly that prophecy, we're living in a day where that prophecy is fulfilled before our very eyes. Technology for the mark of the beast, don't know if it's going to be a chip, don't know if it's going to be a tattoo, but whatever it is, we got the technology for it right now. The ability for the world to view the slain witnesses of Revelation 11 during the final seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation before Jesus actually comes back to the earth. During that time, God sends two witnesses. They're ministering there from Jerusalem. They are killed after their ministry is complete, and the world is so happy that it says the world will gaze at their dead bodies for three days. How's the world going to do that? Well, we know. CNN and all the major networks are going to be airing it. Temple Institute in Jerusalem now for years, and they're ready as soon as they can uh, solve the issue of the Dome of the Rock, where the old uh, site was for the temple, and now they can't get up there. It's a Muslim holy site. And they go up there, you talk about trouble. And somebody's got to come along and solve this problem uh, with the Jews and uh, the Muslims, and somebody's going to do that, Antichrist, for a period of time. And he'll make a covenant, and it'll be somehow connected to this uh, 
temple that'll be now rebuilt. And I believe it can be rebuilt during that seven-year period. And so do the people at the Temple Institute. Matthew 24, in answer to the disciples' question, what'll be the sign of your coming of the end of, end of the, the age? And uh, Jesus says this, 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 and this. And he gives all these signs in Matthew 24. You look at those signs, there's only one that has not been fulfilled. And it's called the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist stands in the temple during that seven-year period, more than likely at least halfway through that period, three and a half years, and he claims himself to be God. And that is the abomination of desolation, and then things go downhill very quickly from there. The rebirth of Israel as a nation, key, because Ezekiel 38, if you were reading that before 1948, you would have gone, well, this can't be fulfilled now because there is no Israel. But we read Ezekiel 38 that there will be this alliance of nations, and that's the last one. The potential of an alliance uh, against Israel, we're living in the day in Ezekiel 38.8, says that these nations will ally themselves together and come against Israel. And Israel has been long desolate, for years desolate, but now they've recovered from war. And that's what happened, 1947, then 1948, Israel, after those brief wars, now reborn as a nation. And uh, you look at the alliances there, never in 2,500 plus years of the prophecies of Ezekiel 38 has these two nations that's listed there had a military alliance, and it's Russia and Iran. And today, Russia and Iran have a military alliance. I mean, we live in exciting times. Some people don't believe it's uh, Russia, but even if we're wrong about Russia, I don't think we are, because there's some pretty smart people that have figured out that's who Gog and Magog and uh, Meshach and Tubal refers to uh, the ancient uh, Soviet republics. But even if we're wrong there, you still, you look at the other nations where there's no question of who those nations are. Uh, Iran, uh, Libya, Sudan, Yemen, all those. I mean, they all don't have a whole lot of warm feelings for either Israel or us. And by the way, they, they dislike us more than they dislike Israel. We're the great Satan. Israel is the little Satan. Now, let me say something. I forgot it last night, but had a couple of parents come up to me last week and said, my kids were concerned after the message last weekend because they want Jesus to come. Just not right now. Let me just say very quickly, if you're a Christian and you're like, well, I want him to come, but I'd really like to experience this in life first. I remember wanting to get married uh, before Jesus uh, came. I don't know what I was thinking about. <laughs> uh, and then you're... Then you're like, oh, I want to have kids. Oh, boy. No, listen, listen, listen. I, I'm kind of joking. But listen, if you're going, you're going, you're going, well, I want Jesus to come. Just not today, you know, because I want to get married or I want to have kids or I want to experience this particular thing in life. And listen, I don't think it's unspiritual to feel that way. That's my opinion. I don't think that's unspiritual. That's just a natural human thing. But let me tell you something. And, and, and I say this with confidence. If the rapture of the church were to take place today and you didn't get a chance to get married and that's what you want or you didn't have a chance to have kids or whatever experience in this life you want to experience and it doesn't happen, let me tell you something. Once you're with Jesus, you're never going to look back and be disappointed. You never will. Just not going to happen. You're not going to get to heaven and go, oh, could I go back and get married? <laughs> let me tell you something. Where we're headed is a lot better. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
Here's a couple of fascinating facts the Bible tells us about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And one is this, despite the clear signs of his coming, most people will not be prepared for his return. Leave Hebrews, go with me to Matthew's gospel, chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, and this is the chapter where Jesus answers the disciples' question, what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? Now go down near the end of verse 36 and notice what Jesus says. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then he says this, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And here's the fascinating statement. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now think, think about this for a minute. That's how it was in the days of Noah. And, and the day that judgment began to fall, they knew nothing about what would happen. You got to be kidding me. No, here's what the Bible says. While Noah is building this big boat in his backyard, he's preaching. He's preaching. And the Bible tells us for 120 years he preached. You know what he preached? It was just one simple message. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. But you don't have to worry because God's using me to build this big boat, and it's a big enough boat at that time for the whole population of the planet to be saved. Everybody could have been saved. And so for 120 years, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, but hey, you got the ark here. <laughs> Repent, turn from your sin, enter the ark. The ark is a type of Christ. The pitch the tar used to go in between the boards uh, is, a, is a Hebrew word that we get a, a word atonement for. Very interesting, interesting. You know how many people got in that ark? Eight. Eight people. After 120 years, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. And on the day that God began to pour out the judgment, and it came not just by rain from heaven, it came, but the floodgates from beneath were opened up. So there's water coming from beneath and there's water coming from above. And it didn't take very long for somebody to realize this is not good, not good. And I don't know who the first one that got to the ark was to try to get in, but here's what the Bible tells us. On that day, when Noah and his immediate family entered the ark, here's what it says, God closed the door. Noah didn't close the door, God closed the door. And you can just imagine uh, those first people that got to the ark and they're, they're pounding on the door, let us in, let us in. Wait a minute, God closed the door. Noah can't let them in. And they had every opportunity. They knew nothing about what would happen. No, they knew. They just ignored it. They just ignored it. And that's what the Bible says it's going to be like in the second coming. That's what Jesus said. Despite the clear signs of his soon coming, when it happens, people just ignore it. Here's another one. Get this one. Now, listen, Christian, listen. Even for his followers who are anticipating Jesus' return, he will come when we do not expect him. Matthew 24, keep reading, verse 40. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, keep watch. 
The word for keep watch doesn't mean just stand gazing. It means watch, but keep active. And we'll get into that. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Even for those of us anticipating his return, looking forward to it. Even for those of us who are ready, he's going to come at a time I don't expect it. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1, Paul says about times and dates in the second coming. We don't need to write to you because you know that his coming, he'll come like a thief, like a thief. We don't need to write to you for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And Jesus says in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. So two amazing facts. One, despite the clear signs, the lost world will not be prepared. And even those of us who are anticipating his return, he's going to come. He's going to surprise you (laughs) like a thief and like lightning. Now, after death or the second coming of Jesus Christ, All of us, and that's what Hebrews 9.27 says, all of us will face judgment. Those who are lost will face what we in Bible college circles call the great white throne judgment. Why is it called the great white throne judgment? Well, Revelation chapter 20, listen, verse 11, John says, I saw a great white throne. That's why we call it the great white throne judgment. And him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no longer any place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Fascinating that God's recording deeds. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Not a good thing. If I'm judged according to what I've done, I've done a lot of bad things. And then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Hey, folks, listen up. Listen carefully. This is a a judgment you want to avoid at all costs. You want to avoid the great white throne judgment because all who stand before the great white throne judgment are judged according to what they've done. And if you're judged according to what you've done, if I'm judged according to what I've done, I'm in real trouble. Real trouble. Revelation 21, 27 After the tribulation period, Jesus comes back. Uh, New Jerusalem comes down from heaven. Uh, God creates new heavens and a new earth. And the capital of the new heavens and new earth is this new Jerusalem. And one of the things he says about this capital city is verse 27 of Revelation 21. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in The Lamb's book of life. And there's another clue to this book of life we read about in Revelation 20. It's the Lamb's book of life. It's referred to as the Lamb's book of life in Revelation 13, 8. Hebrews 12, 23, the church of the firstborn whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples on a short-term missionary journey. He gives them power like they've never imagined. And after they come back seeing people raised from the dead, people being delivered from demonic possession, I mean, it's just amazing what they were able to do by faith and the power that Jesus had given them. And it says, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Verse 19, and he, Jesus says to them, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's saying, listen, don't get caught up in all that, and that's good, and that's fine, and that's for here, and that's now, and I've given you that authority and that power, but listen, that pales in comparison to the privilege you have that your names are recorded in heaven, recorded in the Lamb's book of life. When I was 19 years old and I prayed in my front yard and I repented of sin and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior... Really, in reality, what happened in heaven, I don't know if Gabriel wrote it. I don't know if another angel wrote it. I don't know how God writes it in there. But my name, Danny Hodges, was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that is why now, because my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I'll never stand before the great white throne judgment. I won't be judged based on what I've done in terms of my sinful past and my sinful present even because Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin and now that blood and that sacrifice has been applied to my life and my name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life because he purchased me. He died for me. Whoa, praise the Lord, man. Woo, that'll turn you Pentecostal. But I will stand before the judgment not the great white throne judgment. I'll stand before what Paul said. All of us Christians will stand before 2 Corinthians 5.10. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, he goes on there, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and he says, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll be judged for the things done in our body, whether good or bad. Now, don't get confused with that. See, I'm not perfect and neither are you. Uh, Christians, and those Old Testament saints who looked forward to the coming of Christ, King David, they're not perfect. Look at the sin David committed after, uh, he, he was a man after God's own heart. Committed adultery, committed murder. Listen, you can commit every sin you committed before you became a Christian except one, and that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is just rejecting the witness of the Holy Spirit to who Jesus is. So I'll be judged, and you'll be judged. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10 says that fire will test our work. Revelation, when Jesus appears before John in the Revelation, the book of the Revelation, his eyes are like flaming fire. And I believe that's what it refers to. He knows all. He sees all. And as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, things I've done in my service to Jesus Christ, places, I've, areas I've failed in, and submission, submitting to him, whatever it might be, it says that the fire will test each man's work. And if your work survives, you'll be rewarded. But if not, your reward will be burned up because uh, of the work and your failure, whatever that failure is. And it says an interesting thing, that he himself will be saved 
yet as one escaping the flames. The idea is some people will just make it in just because of the blood of Christ and there won't be any real commendation. Good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, some people hear that and they go, well, that's fine with me. That's, that's okay as long as I get in. You got to be kidding me. You really want, no, come on. You really know him. You really know him. I want to hear him say, good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. The book of Hebrews encourages its readers to discontinue their reliance on the law. Jesus came to fulfill not only the prophecies of a Savior, but also the law itself. He perfectly lived out every word of it, never wavering, and always showing love and kindness. Jesus then became the sacrificial lamb, the one who would die in your place, so you wouldn't need to face the punishment your sins deserve. His blood paid the price. All you need to do is accept it. Are you ready to take this step of faith? Jesus is ready and waiting for you to step away from your old life with loving arms wide open. If you're making a decision for your Savior today, please let us know. We want to pray for you and be available to answer any questions you might have. Please email us at info at ccfstpete.church. We're so glad that you tuned in today to The Living Word. If you live in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you too. Come by Calvary Chapel Fellowship on Saturday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. to worship the Lord and learn from His Word with us. Be sure to stop Pastor Danny and let him know that you're a listener. You'll find more information and directions at ccfstpete.church. If you can't join us in person, you can still be a part of our virtual congregation. Join our live stream at ccfstpete.church. That's all we have for today. Tune in next time for more from this study in the book of Hebrews right here on The Living Word.